this is Rafa. If you are making serious art and want serious art supplies, visit Treckle. That's Treckle. T-R-E-K-E-L-L. One K, two L's for brushes, panels, and everything else. Use the discount um, code SD18 to save 15 to save 15 on your order. 15%. 15% on your order. Some restrictions apply. That's that's vintage code SD18. Even though that it is 2019, we have stuck with classic SD18. Go to treckle.com. Thank you, Treckle. Hit it! Yay! Braun, 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 braun. Suggested donation! It is. It's nice it's to see you. Again. Yeah, you too. You too. It's been a, such a long time. Too long, man. Man. Yeah, I hate the fact that we don't get to see each other all the time. I understand when it's so hard to do that because we're so busy with like family. It's yeah. weird. We all have families, and when we first met, none of us had. We <laughs> each had two, two kids. Two kids. Yeah. We're ex- yeah. we are like just cookie cutter. I mean, doesn't get more just straightforward as us. There's well, a flashback scene when we're all like... A girl, boy, or not? Girl, girl. Girl, girl. Okay. Yeah. Girl, girl, boy, You're the boy, only... Girl, boy. Yeah. See, I'm poster child for... Oh, yeah, po- you're pr- yeah. like that, yeah. Tony and I screwed... But we, we, together, we make one normal... <laughs> it's normal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we brought six human beings onto the planet. It's amazing oh, to me. I, I don't know if that's... Uh, that's not a good thing. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know that how responsible... The planet, from, uh, from the planet does not thank us. Yeah, I don't know if that's the most responsible thing in the world for us to do. Um, all right, is this rolling? Yeah, we're hanging, man. Yeah, is this we're it? Good. We're good? Should we do I'm a good. little uh, welcome to suggested donation? My name is Edward Minoff. I think you just did it. Edward Minoff? I'm Edward Minoff, but you wow. call me Ted. Wow. <laughs> what, would you, what would you, we're here with Dan Thompson, uh, who is the newly minted dean of Encaminati. Oh. Gentlemen. What is that exactly? What is that exactly? As well mean? as many other titles, you wear a lot. A lot of, you wear a number of hats. No, you're not hatless. as many hats as you do, sir. <laughs> I can think of a. I, I want to keep this podcast clean, but I can think of a couple of those. Now, how clean must this be? That's my no, it doesn't have it to. It doesn't. Be clean. Yeah, no? we can bleep okay. it out. All right. So it's rated R. Is that what this is? <laughs> it can be rated R. It's whatever you NC seventeen, whatever you want. So if I go on iTunes, I have to access a special section for this podcast. Your no, kids no. will not no. be. Your children it, will not be able to it, listen. It's this and triple X, triple X uh, videos, right? <laughs> <laughs> not the movie Triple X with uh, what's his name? Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. <laughs> but uh, no, I put the. I actually put the little uh, explicit thing on the podcast when I post it anyway because I don't remember a lot of times if we did curse and huh. I don't want to over. Sometimes over it's edit. fun to bleep it out. It's, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's funny much when funnier. you bleep it out. Oh yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just leave it because it's you know who whoever was uh, making a point 
maybe it made the point a little bit a little bit better. So it's most of, uh, I think most of the people who listen to this are adults anyway. So who cares? That's I the think way it's we kind talk. of funniest though to like bleep them, but then not bleep them sometimes. No, no. Sometimes <laughs> so you get the like last, totally yeah. the last like syllable. So it's like. <laughs> Uck. <laughs> what you should do is, is bleep them where you can not ascertain any meaning from the sentence if you bleep it. We did that to Tony once, actually. <laughs> Jay and I, yeah. Jay, we were editing and we just like bleeped out like a. Tony was saying something totally tame and, and sensible, but we just like bleeped it out. And it sounded like I was. <laughs> and it being sounded like he was on this tirade. But all they did was just. And as soon as you, your brain just automatically. Like I was being like, say something stir. prosaic, Dan. We'll we'll make we'll, we'll, make, we'll do we'll it put right up now. Some fireworks. <laughs> anyway, so back to the the dean of incominati. Can you tell me what that exactly means? Uh, the dean is an academic chair position, so it's essentially the artistic director of the school, the the person that oversees and coordinates the vision. Uh, the aesthetics. So you're the like guiding the ship. Yeah. You're the the new. You're. I mean, Nelson Shank started it uh, to kind of guide it based yeah. on his sort of aesthetic and his interpretation of what you know art should, what people kind of art people should be producing. Is that? Yeah, and, that's it. He started it. He co-founded it. Uh, Leona continued it, and uh, now Leona Shanks is, is Nelson's. Is, uh, his wife. Okay. And uh, she's passed it on to me, and it's just uh, totally overwhelming. I is mean, she still involved? Uh, she she is. Yes, she instructs there, and um, she decided to to you know take some more time for her own painting. Mm-hmm. So she was involved with um, with the position a lot, and uh, you know it, it's the kind of thing you can only do so much because it's very intense. And she's taken time away for her own painting, and in comes me. And my job is to uh, coordinate um, everybody's contribution in the community and make sure it works out really well to the effect of the school. And um, the first thing that I did, because I've Cleaned been, house. You got did, rid of yeah, all the instructors. Everybody's fired. Away. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, um, I had essentially a, a five-day conversation with the entire faculty because I've been in schools where you know, a dean or a president is hired and they just start making changes. Right. And it's like... You know, your faculty is your library. They are your walking, living yeah. archive. And if you want expertise, you talk to your faculty. And they're a bunch of super brilliant people, man. We are stacked down there. They're they're freaking awesome. We spoke so. to Carrie Dunn. Oh, good, uh, good. Yeah, so you know. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was good. And so, uh, who who uh, who else is is? Oh, I talked to there? I talked to Rebecca Tate. I talked to Stephen Early. You know Stephen, right? Stephen's yeah, great. Stephen's amazing. Great. Shows along and Darren with Darren Kingsley. Darren Kingsley's phenomenal. Yeah, I talked to Allison Blake. Uh, I talked to Rachel Pearson. Uh, I spoke to Jafong Lu. I talked to everybody down there, and they were phenomenal. The um, the assistants, uh, we call them the fellows. They were also uh, extremely knowledgeable of what they were doing. What does and that mean? Like, is assistant like a student teacher, or is that uh, what? What is that? Yeah, mention? every every particular school has its own kind of a little ecosystem, and um, so it, it's it's sort of a preparation for professional practice where you become a fellow, and so you contribute. You know, you. You assist and teach, uh, you paint on site, you have a studio, uh, you, you help with events and things of that nature, and um, you know, you're a fellow. And so I, I spoke to the fellows as well as the teachers, and um, you know, they had a lot of good things to say. They have, I think, six or so fellows on um, staff right now, and that turns over as people move on. Mm-hmm, right. you know, people like Peter Kelsey are going back to Chicago, so 
uh, you know, he was not a fellow, he's a teacher, but um, the, the point is it cycles through and uh, it's like anything, it regenerates itself. So, right. so you, what, 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 what was it that like, because you didn't actually like formally ever study with Nelson Shanks, so what was it that kind of qualified you for this position? Uh, I'm glad they didn't ask that question, but thank you. <laughs> Do you want me to bleep that out? <laughs> can you bleep that? Yes. Um, can you roll back the tape and uh, plug in some other? <clears throat> you know, I did actually study with Nelson, and I studied with him at the Art Students League. Oh, okay, right. And, um, you know, I, I was studying at the time with uh, the Egley family down in Maryland, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and it was before... Uh, it was before we all met, right before that. It was like 95, 96. Right before, before Water, Water Street. Street. Yeah, yeah, right before we all. Which is yeah. where we all met. Exactly. A long time ago. 20-some years ago, if you can believe it. How long were you studying there? Uh, I studied with Nelson for about a year and a half, yeah. two, two and a half years off and on. So, uh, you know, he ran the class. It was right, it was in that heyday when he had just been... It was like the Yanks Paint Brits show. What yeah, had yeah, going yeah. on? And that's the first time Herschel I saw. Adler, right? That's the first time I saw a Jacob Collins painting, which oh, yeah. uh, drew me to Jacob because he was hanging right next to the Diana, which was the by Princess Nelson. Diana Prince that Nelson. That Nelson. Yeah, yeah Jacob's painting was the next one over, so that was also very impressive. So uh, he, you know, he was on the top of the world, essentially the top of his game. Nelson. Nelson was. And had you like? Did you? have like a relationship with him were you just kind of studying and kind of coming in and out or did you like did you go to visit his studio was it a little closer than because at the league there's often kind of a little bit of a distance like you just see the teachers when they're there but you don't yeah it was it was more um the beginning of a relationship uh because i knew him and i knew him pretty well over the course of 20 years but in the beginning uh you just get an introduction and right. my introduction was really at the perfect time because cedric rarely demoed and cedric was doing a demo down in maryland and uh, cedric um for those who don't know is just one of the most brilliant structural thinkers i think i've ever met wait cedric egley egley e-g-e-l-i yeah. yeah and he came from uh, a portrait and figure dynasty essentially his dad uh, bjorn egley had been a student of the assistant to abbot thayer uh, back mm. at the courtroom oh, wow. in the right. 1920s. So Cedric was demoing, and then we we hear about this demonstration that was going to occur at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts uh, under the Grand Rotunda, and it was a Nelson Shanks demo. And so we drove up there, and the same week to compare the two master techniques was pretty extraordinary. Yeah. I banged on the table, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that led to the league, where he just restarted his class. Uh, and... The, the class that restarted for Nelson was a 100-student workshop. Whoa, he had, wow. He had eight models and 100 students, and it was like being uh, at, at the very end. If You know the normal course of action in a semicircle in a studio? Yeah. So you just look down, and you see the model. But you would look down, you'd see another person, another person, another person, and then you'd see the model. And, uh, it's like, it was going, way it's like a preacher. Tiny, it's he, like going to church. He was it's like, like a telescope. showman. He was, he was. I remember hearing he about those demos. Yeah. Yeah. And would so. you get to see him at all? I mean, 100 people. How He can't get around to that many people. I mean, I imagine it's like, was it like the people who were distinguishing themselves with the work? Like those are the people he was seeing? And uh, he, he was old school art students league, which means he didn't do the rounds like, oh, okay. like we do. He didn't mm-hmm. go around and make sure that he kind of uh, sequenced out his feedback so that people had a sort of regular interval of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know exchange. Like a customizable... He, he, just, know, yeah. he just went for the jugular on whoever he thought was doing wrong. 
Oh, and so really? you did see him, and sometimes you saw him too much, and you were kind of cowering away from him. You almost didn't want to see him. Please don't want to see him. Please you didn't want him to talk because then you knew you, you know you were on some on a good path. Yeah, he also had this piercing voice, and we all met him, so we know yeah. this voice. But you know, the closest thing is Orson Welles. I mean, he has <laughs> he has that Orson Welles kind of pitch. You know, like in Citizen Kane, that's yeah. that's the closest I know. <laughs> So, you know, it, I got a formal introduction from Martha Erlbacher yeah. uh, when I was a student at the Academy. And I went to see him at a studio called Steckler Studio on, in the 60s, uh, around 60, 66th Street, I think. In New York City. And she had the claim to fame. She claimed to be Dean Cornwell's final, uh, as she said, favorite model, if I'm not mistaken. And, to Mar- uh, Martha? No, this, this lady, uh, oh. Steckler, uh, okay. Mrs. Steckler. So, but it was this private uh, painting space. Yeah. And I went in and met him there. And that's when the relationship began, where there was a kind of face to a name. And uh, we were able to communicate and go down there to Chelwood off and on. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, Where's Chelwood is de- his... Chelwood's the estate, estate along the Delaware River yeah. in Pennsylvania. Now, there's a painter that you introduced me to who I think is kind of somehow connected to the connection between you and Nelson Shanks, which is Henry Henschey. Mm-hmm. Did, did you know about Henschey or have any relationship with that whole world before you met Shanks? Or? Before I met Shanks, yes. Uh, I was a student again. Uh, what really broke it open for me was uh, going to this, uh, it was actually a portrait seminar. You know the portrait seminars now? And they're, they're all kind of professionally done. And back in the day, we know, because we, we saw when they were more raw. Yeah, right? It was before the internet. It was before right. everything. The was punk rock sort of version of her portrait. Yeah, before people sure. knew this thing about branding and, mm-hmm. you know, anyway. Well, I still I went, don't know about that. But. I went to one in the early 90s and uh, I saw this demonstration uh, lecture by Cedric. And uh, I had been going to art school for like four years. And uh, he was talking about, as it turns out, he was talking about rhythmic lines of form in the face. And so he had these slides of himself with strings over his face. Oh, wow. And I, I had no idea what he was talking about, but I knew he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And it was fascinating. I went back to the Corcoran and I said, can I go study with this guy? And uh, they said, uh, we'll give you an answer in a little while. So they gave me an answer like two weeks before graduation. They said, yes, you can go study with him, <laughs> which was pointless. So I started there, and there was a, there was a painter in the studio. Uh, Cedric would run these January workshops out of his studio in Maryland. There was a painter in the corner. He was sort of off in the shadows, and he would do these paintings, and he couldn't quite draw, but he did the most perfect color note. I mean, he had the likeness of the model in the color note. And uh, his name was Dan Neidhart. And Dan Neidhart was the person that introduced me uh, to the technique uh, and the uh, tutelage, I guess you'd say, of, of Henry Henschey, the, the whole legacy of Henschey. So I was there with a, another really amazing painter called Steve Griffin, uh, who uh, has turned out to be an incredible seascape painter. I think you, oh, yeah. you guys should know each other. <laughs> and anyway, he introduced Steve and I to block study and to the idea of the mass and the sort of... Uh, philosophy of Henshi, and that started a lot of, of, of study that wound up in Louisiana where I met Henshi's widow. Yeah. And I was going down there uh, in between Water Street, you know, um, you know our, our base camp, <laughs> yeah. whatever we call it, basic training. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so I'd break away and get down there and study color in the summer and uh, hang out with the Henshi painters, all of whom uh, have a lot to share. And um, a, was there a group of was there 
like a group of them that were staying together in an area painting together or was it kind of like summer camp they would meet every once in a while uh, you know kind of both they maintained a dialogue with each other uh out in louisiana mississippi there's a lot of great ones down there um maryland florida california and uh it's sort of a combination of maintaining a relationship and maintaining an argument and holding a theory of the argument <laughs> yeah, debate yeah. about what was meant by mass and what was meant by like key and who who yeah. stands the test of time and you know being faithful to the technique of yeah. the, the actual practice was fascinating mm -hmm. that uh, I think you had shown me some of the studies that that were being done or maybe that you had been you had painted but it was uh, from my recollection like just trying to take the most challenging color problems and and just like hammering away at that. So it was like outside with natural light, painting full light. like a glass <laughs> of water in a big tub filled with water by a pool reflecting. I mean, it was it was like water upon water upon you know with all these reflections. Is that? Yeah, the 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 idea was really revolutionary. Which is how are you going to use all these colors? How are you going to use quinacridone and phthalo and cadmium? And now we have. Uh, anthroquinone and we have other things that have come along and so the idea was developed uh, for a likeness of light a likeness of color in the similar sense that we deal with a likeness of drawing to try to nail the light effect in a very precise way so all of the colors essentially would contribute to uh, one set of conditions which is what Charles Woodbury says in his book in 1919 everything's got to belong to that set of conditions to describe the precise characteristic of the light and it um, it's, it's again, it's, like, it's, it's an interpretation, meaning you look at a situation and the thing that was fascinating slash confusing about the, the Henchy, when we were talking about Henchy, especially in the beginning when you were kind of figuring it out yourself and, and experimenting is how do you describe this? Because you know, certain people were just like, they're taking the most saturated of saturated colors and, and describing something that might not be in all reality, that's saturated. Yet they're using these incredibly high chroma colors, and it, again, at the time, weirdly makes sense. Yet, mm -hmm. when you look at the actual situation, they're not exactly those colors, but the painting represents the feeling of what maybe right, the situation right, is. Right, sure. Well, of course, there's a, uh, going back to Nelson, you know, he, he was famous for saying you can't rival nature you can't paint with light rays so there's going to be this marvelous uh, incompatibility between the palette colors and yeah. the light it's which yeah. one is going to have to deal with but going back to hawthorne uh they they studied and i've been much more um enamored of hawthorne ever since uh not so much henshi but i love the way hawthorne branches into the dickinson camp and mm -hmm. the henshi camp and other camps you know because he he was such a forward-thinking individual but hawthorne hawthorne charles hawthorne mm -hmm. so they, um, they interviewed Edwin Dickinson about the nature of study with Hawthorne versus Chase, because he studied with Chase mm -hmm. for something like 10 years. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they studied on the beach, and they were studying in full light, so they had these strong colors, as you said. And it was sort of the byproduct of their study situation to make these really incredibly strong studies. And they asked um, Dickinson why, because there are all these theories about, you know, why they studied on the beach. One of the theories is that it's a very simple environment. You know, you're looking at I sand, beg to differ. <laughs> sand, water, sky, 
not a lot of trees, not a lot of reflections and things of that nature. But, you know, this interview with Dickinson was something like the 1950s, and he said something really uh, profound, in my opinion. He said, you know, when you listen to music, classical music, the human ear can, it doesn't pick up much on the low end. You know, every, you make all these subtle changes and pivots, and it kind of stays unnoticeable. But on the high end, the, the human ear hears a lot. So his reasoning for the, the logic of studying outdoors was they, they're operating in the high end the of the palette seer, yeah. to try to understand the subtle differences in, in light keys. So uh, that, you know, that has continued on in a lot of study because indoors, you know, we have gels and we yeah. use a lot of gels, especially down in, in, um, in Philadelphia, which are an amazing tool of contextualizing the light and making sure that somebody doesn't feel like the light is just one thing. It's like the absurdity of imagining what daylight actually is, as you know from painting daylight. Mm -hmm. Daylight is so many different colors. There's no daylight bulb, right? There's right. well, they're trying to make it. Should it, be a hundred daylight bulbs. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a, it's a line with well, part of the notion. day. <laughs> yeah. I I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit um, to Henchy. Who? Where was Henchy getting this from? Henchy studied with Hawthorne. Okay. Yeah, and he, then. Shank studied with Henchy, with right? Henchy, I remember seeing right? a beautiful head study yes. at Shanks's studio yes. that was by uh, Henchy, and the color was, it wasn't what I've come to like know through some of the stuff that you'd shown me, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it, the color was really stunning in that. Yeah, he was driven by this color philosophy of Henchy, and yet he was uh, driven by a number of different philosophical engagements, like his compositional sense seems to come more from Dickinson than from Henchy. Mm. And his, uh, his painterly, you know, his sense of edges and his fascination with edges comes from John Coke, it seems to me, a lot. Did he and, study with John Coke? Uh, he told me he didn't study with him. He painted with him. Oh, sort yeah. of, um, you know, he was influenced by him. And he studied with Anagoni, right? Again, he said he didn't really study with Anagoni. Oh, wow. The story he told repeatedly is that he went to study with Anagoni. And uh, Anagoni wanted to put him on cast, so Nelson would put this pencil up. You know, remember this, this, uh, this thing he would say? He would cross his eyes and hold the pencil out like that and say he wanted me to paint these things with uh, uh, myopic attention. And so it wasn't for me. So he says, I went upstairs and carved marble. <laughs> so he made his own casts. He made his own casts, yeah. But he, he definitely absorbs something from Anagoni because yeah. there's a, a, a kind of a, a sympathy of treatment in the two stylists, you know, stylistic yeah, engagements. So. I, I remember one time, um, just so the audience knows, Ted, uh, Ted, Dan, and myself have known each other for a long time. And, yeah. you know, you've been one of my best art friends for since we met. I mean, the first day we met, I was just like, "I love this guy." I think <laughs> I, I think I asked you because we were we were sitting back to back in our little cubicle, mm -hmm. like doing cast studies. And Dan rebuffed your advances. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I go, uh, "Yeah." Uh, we just I was like, oh, I'll, "I'll talk to this like you know this this guy near me," and we started talking, and I think music came up, and I was just like, "So, what kind of music do you like?" And you're like. Um, I like metal. I was like, okay, that's a broad thing in my head. I'm thinking that. I was like, well, like who? And you're like, I like Slayer. And I was like, I love this guy. This guy's <laughs> the best guy ever. You know, I remember the moment that happened. That was the break room at Water Street. <laughs> was it and, the break room? Yes. Okay, okay. And you had no response. And I remember thinking, I just walked I just away. Defend this guy? Yeah. I, he's <laughs> no, because I couldn't. He's gonna like look the other way as I, he walks past me in the hallway. He's so offended by Slayer. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't. I didn't make a. I, I didn't. I, I didn't react because there was too many hard. Above my head, I remember. Away. Uh, I was like, I, 
like I can't even see. They're too I remember many hearts. seeing you draw a cast in charcoal like the yeah. first day you were there and being in awe of the your block in was just like dead on accurate right away. Like and there was something just an aesthetic to the way that you were going about doing it that I, I was just totally amazed That's by. That's way and cool. Thank you, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, I interviewed at, at the place, and which was really, it, it, for I think all of us, it was an adventure. And it was such an, a, an amazing, auspicious experience to be a part of each other's lives when we were. Yeah. But I remember interviewing uh, with somebody from the academy, uh, this guy named Lee, and we went over there. And uh, I walk in, and I think everybody was, you had the life room, obviously it was, it was cordoned off, yeah. and then you had the cast hall. And inside the life room, it wasn't the soundtrack of Star Wars that was playing, it was the actual audio of the entire movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember we used to <laughs> and, do uh, and, and it was weird because I had that cassette or something, or eight track when I was a kid, so it felt very much at home for You're me. You're like, this place I'm is cool. guessing that was Corey. I don't know who it was, but uh, that, that kind of set the tone. It's like, okay, there's, there's a sign here. You know, this kind of fits. So when I was accepted, um, I think I was number 11 in the hallway, and I set up next to Sean Fields. Sean, yeah. In the cubicle of Juliet. Juliet Aristides is in Aristides, my same yeah. cubicle. And she says to me, um, I just want you to know, you're going to hate the music in this place. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. <laughs> At that moment, you know, awesome. James Brown comes on, and it was like, <laughs> This is all right. I think I hate this. I think I actually think I love this. <laughs> you know, drawing cast to James Brown is kind of a unique experience. You know, it's, it's well, the, drawing it's the, the only uh, way to draw casts. <laughs> drawing the model to Barry White gets a little dicey. <laughs> but um, some awkwardness. But we were talking in the break room, and you had no response, and I, I didn't know if you. You know, fortunately, we share a great taste in music, yes. as I came to find. So, but what's weird about that is because you know we joke and. We, well, we half joke. That's a true story. But you know, you you grew up in in Virginia, mm-hmm. right? And I grew up in New York. And we were talking about music and being artists. And we started realizing that we grew up in different areas. And this holds true for people I've met from different parts of the country and even in Europe. Is oh, we're not that we're not that different. Like actually, we've had very similar experiences growing up the type mm-hmm. of people you hung out with mm-hmm. the type of uh searching curiosity like the curiosity was the same you tell me stories and i was like oh you kind of just answered this little question that i've been always you would thinking complete about. his sentence you would complete you would complete me but uh, then you rebuffed him <laughs> is that before or after we started holding hands <laughs> But um, but it reminds it also reminds like me like George Bush and the Saudi King. Oh, no. <laughs> but I remember you telling me a story back to the the Henchy thing where I was like, which I thought was fascinating because at the early Water Street days we weren't talking about color at all. You know, is this you know we were just so you were talking about color. You were, but we were so concentrating on form that you were you, like you were saying earlier in a conversation that you were doing Water Street with all of us, and that was a a murderer's row of like talented people at that time. It was mm-hmm. like an amazing room of just awesome, beautiful, great people. But you were also, like you were saying, going down and studying this completely different thing. And you were going to New York Academy, right? Yeah, and I was going to uh, the Art Students League. Well, I had to, you know, I yeah. met Dean Keller, and, and once you meet De- Dean Keller, there's no going back. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have to associate with what Dean What does Keller. that mean? It, it's a... Uh, it's for me to know you to find out. <laughs> for the um, listeners. <laughs> well, Dean Keller was a, uh, one of the most articulate, amazing human beings. Uh, he, he was 
he was our advocate. You know, he was this person that crossed into uh, a kind of philosophical, uh, you know, proving ground where he could justify what we do at the highest level. He was so, he was so um, was this his erudite. Draw- this, Dean, his Dean drawing, Keller. His yeah. drawing class, right? Uh, his drawing class yeah. at the Art Students League, at but also Students his League. his advocacy, his understanding yeah. of what of what the high. Uh, aim of this is, and uh, and how it relates to the things that we know and love. His dad had been uh, a student. His dad was also named Dean Keller, and um, his dad was a monument man and was the first to liberate Pisa in World War II. Oh, and wow! On the monasteries, really. And his dad had won the Prix de Rome and uh, studied with Bridgman at the Art Students League. An so, artist and a hero. <laughs> yes. So he uh, Dean told the story that his dad got a critique from Bridgman and uh, took his own Dean Keller's drawing out. And, and cut his drawing out and saved the critique and framed it and it hung over the Keller fireplace for a generation. <laughs> so the uh, yeah the prestige was there. So that was really part of what I needed to to get. But going back to Water Street, you know, studying there and talking about color only when I was asked because I made it a point uh, not to argue anything because I wasn't there uh, to debate. I was there to learn, to learn. and uh, I recognize that you know what Jacob did. Jacob, was, Jacob Collins was really brilliant, and he was he was like this world class uh, expert at at shape uh, and uh, the recreation of perceptual drawing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then he was um, emphatic, wonderfully so, on on form development by light direction. And uh, those two skills, he just pushed and pushed. And that was not a time to argue color and, just, and to interrupt him and say, "Hey, no, it, this it's probably not that color," you know. And so, it, but the weird thing is, it was it was very schizophrenic because then you go if you're yeah. like me, you go down to the south and it's like damn value and no screw light direction and don't talk to me about shape. It's all color. It's no value. So again, you don't argue the point. You just learn. You just absorb. So, and you're just so, trying to synthesize these almost irreconcilable kind of uh, approaches. Well, that's in the your, fun of it. It's completely right. irreconcilable to this day, and uh, <laughs> it, it makes you a nice, screwed-up... Does that still yeah, I was going to say, how does, it, how does a young... Are you trying to, to reconcile the two? Yeah, how does I mean, a young Dan Thompson deal uh, with that? Try, try to learn with as much depth as possible yeah. so that it's not a veneer of, of, of knowledge, so mm-hmm. there's something there that's really... I mean, because I think if you dig deep enough, you do find shared principles, which are either perceptually based or in concept and interpretive form based. And then there are corollaries and inter- interesting ways to, to strategize about a process and a, you know, a, a procedure or a method. It, it reminds me of, you know, back to the music thing when there would be this guitarist or this musician who would do something kind of radically different but not different in the sense that it's very much what it is you're a guitar player but they're like what makes this person so unique oh because this person was studying classical music and blues and this other thing and all of a sudden it turned out this kind of unique individual who does do something that might be relatively standard in the sense of oh a guitar player but completely brand new and might change everything and I've always felt that a little bit with you because you were so back to what Ted said with you know I remember those initial block-ins when we were all studying together and I was like oh, you know Dan's drawing is just so good and um, that never left obviously it just only got better and better and better so all this other stuff you were adding on top of this the the foundation 
was so strong with like a, such a solid drawing that when you were starting to talk about colors, and I have my own ideas of color and everything, but when you start talking about colors and doing it, and some of it I just didn't understand at the time, but I was just like, yeah, but you know, that's working. You know, there's there, it's working because there's this this mixture of yeah, all these things yeah. that are filtering through Dan and coming out. And yeah, yeah. I I kind of love that the uniqueness, not only in you, but uniqueness of in individuals well it's uh there's a lot of places to take that and, and uh thank you again i i believe the uh, it, uh what i wanted to say going back to the love of music is you know this is so entirely self-revelatory that we've come to just love what we love and it's part of what motivates us to do what we do and it's not like you have to transform yourself into something you are not and mm. pretend not to like metal so you can you know, be accepted by <laughs> your friends. You're not and, my friend if you don't like metal. <laughs> you, just, you just learn to embrace uh, you know, your imprint uh, upon visual phenomenon, and that's what we've learned to do, uh, which has been uh, yeah, very motivating. Uh, I, I think that uh, yeah, that's a big part of it. So it's not only connecting with people that are in faraway places, it's, it's the nature of how this all evolves. I mean, we, we all love Andrew Wyeth, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we all know that story where his, uh, his training was pretty rigorous under his dad. N.C. Wyeth. N.C. Wyeth. And somebody says, are you worried about, you know, killing his style with this? Because it's so rigorous. And, and N.C. replies, if it dies, it was meant to be killed. <laughs> and uh, it, there's something really transformative yeah. about this idea of, banging your head against the wall again and again and again and not worrying about how you are going to reemerge because you're already there. It, it can't be anybody else. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it, that's the way you are. And so you're going to come together and you have to uh, amalgamize what you're doing uh, because you have to keep going. There's no alternative. Like we're not qualified to do anything, anything else. else. We have zero net. Not anymore. We have yeah. no, no <laughs> net too late for us. below us. Yeah. <laughs> Especially you know, with, with family and everything now. But one of the things that I always thought was fascinating... The job doesn't work out. <laughs> got mouths to feed, right? But the thing that fascinated me about, you know, when I was talking about you growing up in Virginia, me in New York, and other people I've met across, is that there's that kind of tenacity that I would... The type of artist, let's say, let's just say artist, since we're probably mostly speaking to artists listening to this. But uh, there's that tenacity, that curiosity, that... Um, that we, I think we share. And even back to rewind to us hanging out back in the day is I was jealous slash fascinated that you were running around studying with all these other people. And I was like, I didn't know you can do that. I know it sounds simple now and kind of stupid, but I was like, I didn't know you can go study at a bunch of different places. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't so you, know any of those people until yeah. you told me about them. No, you were like, I mean, you were another I mean, thing. I remember that, hearing about all these, you know, and, and I met uh, Stephen Perkins uh, through you, you yeah. who was hugely influential to me. I did, uh, I think, Stephen only Perkins a few sculptor. Uh, workshops with him. He's an incredibly talented sculptor. And he, I think, similar to what you were describing with the strings on the face, he's fascinated with these kind of organic rhythms that, that run through people. And the way he articulates it is so inspiring. Yeah, yeah. He and, uh, and he's the reason why I met Dean Keller. Uh, uh, Steve, Stephen Perkins is the philosopher, and mm -hmm. uh, he's such a scion. He and in, in terms of rolling the technique into uh, a deeper, meaningful approach, you know, he there's nobody like him. So I, I think what people may not realize is, you know, that was our internet. 
You yeah. know, we, we just we like like word of mouth and we study like with, human each, with each other really. But then through word of mouth, you'd know this person and that person and and uh, who knows how many we missed because <laughs> yeah. there's no way to search. <laughs> I but, know that's that, that that's uh, that's true, and it's mm-hmm. kind of stress not stressful, but it's it's almost sad that there's probably people who we could have found, but we never did because of obviously the timing. Well, yeah, right. Like uh, like Henchy died in '92, and uh, you never I, actually met no, Henry I never Henchy. did, and I would have no way of knowing that yeah. because there was no internet in '92, and there was no kind of way of understanding things. In fact, back when we were in Water Street, there, I think there was really only one atelier in the country, aside from Water Street, and that was the Atelier Lac, which became something else, yeah. Minneapolis, and that's where Kate came from. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Kate, Kate so, Lehman. Yeah. So uh, it really was like this, uh, this amazing uh, station point for all of us when we all got together, because we did study with each other, and we Absolutely. exchanged ideas, and, and uh, you know, it goes on from there. It's just amazing how much of what we're talking about was germinated by that exchange of a few years in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know? Well, you were, I mean, I think you came in and you were hugely influential because uh, pretty soon after you arrived, you, were you started teaching all of us. Like my buddy where did that Dan is all... Because I feel like the, it was at Dean Keller, did he teach anatomy? Or what, like you had access to this like encyclopedic knowledge, but also not in a... I had studied anatomy at the League a bunch of times, but uh, never seen it presented as compellingly as as when you were teaching. Uh, uh, and I think you and, and then you brought Stephen Perkins to, uh, to Water Street, and the two of you were kind of tag-teaming teaching anatomy there. Where did that come from? Uh, I just tried to emulate the people that I admired, like Martha Erlbacher, who mm-hmm. was a tank. You know, she was a she was a soldier, a, a captain of soldiers. Was she uh, in charge commanding of the anatomical Academy? study? That's the way she operated, <laughs> and uh, she there there was just something uh, it was mission like for all of us in, in what we pursued. So you know, when we shifted over all of us to teaching, it was a different kind of mission. It was like be a good communicator, be uh, a thorough uh, planner about what you intend to talk about, because when you're questioned on it. You know, you're being questioned for a good reason. There are probably gaps all over the place, and you should yeah. investigate those so that you have, uh, you know, different avenues in which to uh, explore and further, you know, elaborate on the situation. So I was just trying to emulate Martha and Dean and Nelson to the extent I could, and uh, <laughs> and other people at the academy, uh, Pat Connors. Oh, Patrick yeah, Connors, right? of course. Just the the world's greatest perspective teacher, and uh, and others because they. They became, and we all had to do this just on the ground. We didn't take a teaching course, none of us. Mm. We, we just kind of figured it out as we went. And uh, a big part of teaching is, uh, is listening, yeah. as, as we know. So. Was it something, at, at some point, did you want to concentrate a certain amount of your time to teaching, or is it something that just situational? Or was it like, no, I actually do want to commute? communicate these thoughts and spread these, these ideas to, because we didn't have that. I mean, we did, but we didn't have it. You know, I wish a young Tony had, you know, Dan to, to study under for, because that would, that would have been a game changer, you know, as far as, I mean, we were lucky to have Jacob, who was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there were people out there, but was there something that you were like, I'm going to dedicate a certain amount of time to teaching? 
Uh, it grew out completely organically, mm. and there was no foresight as to that ever happening. Uh, I went to the academy. You know, my dad's a cop, and he's like, "Make sure you get a job after you graduate. <laughs> don't fall into debt. Don't don't lose your shirt over this." He also told me when I I asked him because uh, I had to do a lecture at one point, and he said, "Make sure your flies up." That was, his, <laughs> that was his advice. That's good advice. Good advice. <laughs> but, um, real plain, you know. Just so I I thought I was going to be a portrait artist, and uh, that and was you did be, a lot of that, and I did a lot of that, yeah. but. It was, I mean, Mrs. Henshi asked me to do some teaching down in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and that was a surprise. And then I, I gave, I guess it was Sean, I gave Sean a crit, because he asked me about some structural uh, question in the life room at Water Street. And, Sean uh, Fields. Sean Fields, and that's when Jacob said, you know, why don't you take a class and, uh, and start a Saturday class? So that was a big, a big break for me, and I was forever grateful. Yeah. But when you were teaching down, when you went down to teach... Um, down south, was it in the style of Henshi or what you know? Like, I'm going to teach what I know best. And Henshi did beautiful charcoal portraits yeah. that yeah, were very, was, like, anatomically. He was amazing. Minded. And at some point, uh, a person, I don't know who it was, said, you know, the reason he did colors is because he couldn't draw, which is no. ridiculous. No. You know, <laughs> the drawings are incredible. It's yeah. almost like he did color because drawing was too easy for his <laughs> board. Like that, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I, I think we all, we all felt it out as we went. And uh, going down and teaching the classes there was just an attempt to, to help somebody out and to connect with them where they were in their artistic evolution, which... which what was in many uh, different places, and that's the crazy thing about teaching. You know, programs are designed, you, know, you think of drawing one and drawing two and drawing three, but people, you know, pick different entry points, and they're just not the same. And because they're not the same, they just understand differently. And some people can draw beautifully, but they don't understand, you know, structure. And some people are, are incredibly architectonically um, sensible, but they don't know how to do any shape. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's part of it synthesizing kind of what you're seeing on the individual versus kind of the universals of structure and anatomy. Yeah, in an intellectual kind of way, in a non-stylistic way, so that uh, when they go to operate, they figure out their own way of engaging with the material, which is critical to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of in, per individual, like it's what... It's it, like a customizable... Yeah. You look at what they're doing. And yeah. It's like, how case, do I yeah. just, from now make this special to this one person. Yeah, it's almost uh, critical for me that they don't work like me, that they work like them. How do you find a balance then? I mean, you're doing a good amount of teaching. You're at uh, uh, Encaminati, Mm -hmm. New York Academy, and sometimes at the Art Students League. Yes. How do you find time for your own painting, and how how do you prioritize that? Well, you know, when you stand at the easel and you look at what you're doing, it, like so many of us being teachers, you, it just begs the question, why did I just do that? <laughs> How can I do it better? And why didn't I do this? And, and there's something so purposeful about it that at some point you, you realize you're just a branching network of, of decisions. And I try, to, I try to make life like that so that uh, when I am out of this engagement, I'm in this other engagement, and I just I hit it and just hit it the best I can. And, and stay, and, and stay uh, productive in that sense. So, I mean, I think even if you had all the time in the world to do painting, uh, it, the time wouldn't matter. It, it's the quality of engagement that really matters. Yeah. And, yes. and you could, That's so you true. You could picture somebody wasting seven days a week uh, doing nothing, <laughs> you know. 
listening to books on tape. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Raise your hand, right? Yeah. So it's silent. <laughs> well, so much of, uh, I mean, I'm finding increasingly as I'm like having more experience painting that uh, so much of my time is consumed with just sitting and looking and kind of trying to problem solve, you know, before I even touch paint and just sitting there looking at a canvas and trying to figure out what's wrong with it and how to fix it. And particularly also because a lot of my paintings are totally invented. There's, I'm not looking at anything. And so uh, the solutions don't, you know, they're not in front of me. They're, they're somewhere in my head and it's trying to just dog them out. But I, I do find that like the actual uh, putting paint on a surface takes up less and less of my time. Yeah, I agree. And, and I do a lot of drawing these days in between while the painting is, is, is ongoing to understand, you know, what if I make this shift in the strategy? What is it going to do to the piece? A lot of it is compositional, uh, but it's the quality of the mark. It's the calligraphy in the mark. And we, we were talking about uh, repping um, before yeah. we got started today. And not everything is, is painfully modeled in those, in those paintings, no. but the, the mark quality is just off the charts. Oh I my mean, God, it's yeah. so sophisticated and... It, in some ways, it's about refining your engagement to get that mark that you're after. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm with you. So, what is it? Um, back to the uh, um, incominati, um, Dean. Dean. <laughs> Dean. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what's? I mean, do, do you know? Is there? Is there something that you're? Uh, I don't even know. Is there a different direction that? Yeah, you're that's, or, a, that's or kind or of. Are you a, just well, kind of trying to? kind of um, guide things in the mold that you see as kind of Shanks envisioned it? Or, you know, is, is there some of your own kind of addition that, that you're feeling like you want to you wanna sort of uh, slot in? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And, um, Thank you. I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the spirit of the question, not the, not the uh, execution of well played. So. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's just it, isn't it? Uh, to, to be part of a community and to be guided by the aesthetics and, and the uh, priorities of the community, mm -hmm. uh, also to contribute to that. Uh, th that's why this is, it's, it's a precious moment for everybody there. So, mm -hmm. it's one thing if you walk in and say, this is how we're going to do it, and we're going to shift directions, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. Then you lose everybody, and they don't feel like they're a part of the conversation. So, my objective in walking into this is to pick up on the dialogue and mm -hmm. to talk to everybody about where where we are together and where we want to be tomorrow and mm -hmm. uh, in the future and and to get from them and to get from from others uh, what their sense of, of where we are is and uh, and then to go from there so that everybody's part of this what kind of responses have you gotten from people meaning um, what the future like what the future is like I, I'm I'm curious to know what people think or what their desires are. You mean the teachers or the, or the students? Or Both. What? Uh, everybody's way cool and positive about the idea of going forward together. Uh, it's, it's not a simple matter. I mean, yeah. everybody's got uh, their own uh, narrative that they're, that they're uh, continuing uh, and their own observation about where it's been and where they want it to go. And that's the interesting part. It's almost like doing a painting. You're, you're playing this elaborate chess game uh, with different points of view and different priorities, and and I think it needs to be done in a very thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. uh, again, one of the reasons for having the conversations is to understand where everybody is. So 
I've started those conversations because uh, it's just been a week, essentially. <laughs> so <laughs> brand I've, new. I've spent as much time as, as uh, my brain can handle on the yeah. phone and, mm -hmm. and in person, uh, and that picks up uh, where it left off, and I'll find out more with each day. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, it's, it, it's an administrative uh, question, it's a faculty question, it's a student question, and what I've seen from my point of view is everybody has done the very best that they can, yeah. and they all have really decent... Um, points of view and um, and you know like pure motivations they're 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 amazing people all of them administration faculty students fellows um, and uh, they all want what's best for the community but I think every school not simply in Kalmanani but every school has to ask a question like that who are yeah. we and what are we going to be in the future and how do we get there well I, right what's our identity and yeah what's and, our identity you know I think Shanks because he was just such a, a huge figure uh you know, he, he, I mean, there's just a clear identity based on him and his work and his philosophy. And, uh, you know, that I, I just wonder how, how you want to, you know, sort of bring your own aesthetic to the, you know, and I mean, obviously now it sounds like you're, you're trying to, um, navigate it carefully and, and also be kind of inclusive to everybody who's, already got a seat at the table and who's already in the the school either as a student or a teacher mm -hmm. but are there things that like just you personally that you feel like because you have such a wide range of of places that you've studied and and ideas that are kind of that are part of your process yes uh, for sure you know nelson represented uh something he, he was like the prototypical um master painter his ability with color and his ability with form and drawing we all knew that right? yeah, we, yeah. It, it was undeniable just how much uh, the vanguard he was and I, I think that the the school has to continue to be that and to represent that in this uh in this way that they maximize that that level and that caliber of of uh, of study and and that really can't change you know so there are parts of it that are um if not uh, continuing uh, will be even more strong and in depth based upon that. You know, mm -hmm. the understanding of color and the understanding of light. Um, in Kaminati, at its core, to me, is a profound gesturally uh, motivated school. They, mm -hmm. they go, you know, I think enthusiastically so for the gesture and the vitality of the figure. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of their tenets. And another one is the color, obviously. So yeah. uh, one of the, the issues about being thoughtful is not to destroy what's great, mm -hmm. uh, to embrace what has been uh, carefully developed. At the same time, go into this uh, prototypical you know, uh, strategy and, uh, and flesh out things like, in my, in my sense, some of the design and the thesis work and, um, and the organization of, of certain specific classes can be uh, helpful, like the third year class, as I've looked at it, uh, developing developing that a little bit further so that everything synchronizes even stronger. Yeah. Is it a three-year program? It's a four-year program. Four-year. But uh, I've been doing exit interviews and things of that nature, and it looks to me as though the third-year program is one of the big uh, moments. It's like the epiphany yeah. moment, and it, it's, it's uh, something that you want to systematize in a way. You want people to be able to be reliant upon that being right. a banner year. Yeah. It's a year I put it together. So there are conversations that are going on now to you know, embolden that, enhance mm -hmm. that. And in fourth year, it would almost be like 
kind of figuring it out then. I mean, it's, you it's, put it all together, and now it's exploring and seeing if you can kind of repeat, repeat, make it, and then, you know, uh, 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 get the level to be a little higher and a little higher, a little higher. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it kind of self-develops yeah. and uh, self-perpetuates. It's supposed to be the catalyst into professional practice, and, and in many ways it is, but with programs, they can always be better. So we look at that, and we, we say, how can we strengthen it? You, you have the... Um, since you're at these different uh, institutions, I think you see a pretty good cross section of what this the current young the young kids are up young to. kids are up to. Their is pants there, are too low. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you? I mean, have you noticed anything positive, negative about where it's going and what the kind of young artists are? becoming more interested in or not interested in is it besides this podcast what do you want the positive stuff or the negative Mm -hmm. stuff i don't know just like the idea of it because i i I see how do i say it i see i see both at times i'm like really encouraged and other times i'm like ah really because you're really unique in that you're at a, a, a few institutions that are really great and then i feel like you can maybe comment on that uh the the one of the great things is that Kids coming up today, and I do call them kids, you know, 20, 18, 22, 25, Mm -hmm. they do see that, uh, you know, not being able to draw, not being able to paint is so limiting. Mm -hmm. It's not a strength to to be completely incapable of doing what you want to do. The gracefulness of execution. But (laughs) the idea of of not being able to be strong in your training, I mean, it's... It, it's it's extraordinarily important, and and we know that, and we always did know that, yeah. and I think that they know that now. And what's been um, interesting, you know, when we studied, there were these camps, right? The Riley camp and the um, the Dumont camp. Yeah. You did this, and and if you did something uh, which was frowned upon by the camp, you were excluded yeah. by yeah. the camp, and excommunicated, the, yeah. excommunicated by Get the out. circle and the mm-hmm. lineage, and that that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. There. There's a lot more of a kind of vast sense of polarities in, in the students, but they see that not being able to do what they want to do is a negative thing. It's not positive. And we were taught when we were uh, early on in school that it, it was all positive and it was all total freedom and it was yeah, all yeah. expression. Uh, they still see that as expressive and as um, individualistic at its core, but they want that training. Yeah. On the negative side, uh, people have you know, less uh, formidable attention spans and, than they used to. Because think, of, like, cell phones and Instagram? And I think so, yeah. Facebook? I mean, and, and what we do takes an immense amount of time. And, um, and we were just talking about the book idea, uh, just writing a book in general. Yeah. And, you know, the concept of books these days is, you know, you, you take it, you write what you want to write, you take it to the publisher, and in the process they, they want you to take it home and cut it up. You know, make it bite-sized pieces. People want this. People want that. <laughs> Let's do bullet points. Let's yeah. do color coding, and you know, edit it down to uh, one sentence. And I always want, want to write a book that says, "Look, if you can't handle this, then don't read this book. You know, put <laughs> it down. Uh, in fact, choose another profession because this is not a bite-sized profession, and this is not uh, a short-lived profession. I mean, it takes people like us, you know, a decade or more of our lives to develop an aptitude for something that." Um, transforms us in more ways than artistically. And that's a thing to embrace and not a thing to try to resist by, by marketing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
do you look at all at, at like contemporary art? Do you go to any of the art fairs? Are you paying attention to that? Or are you not so interested? Or uh, I'm not as um, as engaged. I, I did go um, to Pier 94 last year, and I've, I've been to some of the shows this year, uh, uh, several of the shows. And I've been to some artist studios, contemporary artists. And it isn't... I mean, I'm just so in my own head. <laughs> and there's so little time to draw and paint yeah, yeah. that... Um, I want to balance that out too. You know yeah. the amount of um, of engagement. You know, am I going to go to the to the Jenny Sable three times, or am I going to go once and and go to the studio <laughs> space twice? I'm going <laughs> to pick the latter, guys. That's a good point. If not, go to the studio yeah. three times. <laughs> it's funny when you're talking about how much time it takes to do what we do. When I try to explain that to people who don't understand what we do, or even, I mean, it helps when you talk to people who do things really well that they understand where we're coming from. They don't have to be a painter or a sculptor. But when you talk to people about what we do and, and you try to explain how long it takes, they just look at you like, what's wrong with you? Like, why would you do that? And it's, and it's like at that point, yeah. I'm like, well, if you don't understand why, it's hard for me to tell you why I would do that. I find that a lot, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we're all kind of socially a little... Uh, you know, like misfitted to yeah. uh, everything else, and that's okay. That's just the way everybody is. In fact, that's the way most everybody in art school is. They, th- there's a tremendous amount of social anxiety in art schools across the board. Every culture has it, but that's just the way everybody's wired. Yeah. And um, I, I think, in some cases too, people assume that your purpose in making the thing is to finish the thing. And sometimes you don't want to hurry the finish. You want to allow the process. Uh, to teach you something about yourself and and the way you see and the way you think and the way you can see and think better. Mm. Yeah, that's... Hear, hear to that. <laughs> What's exciting you in terms of your own work right now? Like, what, what, what are you excited about kind of subject-wise or in your paintings? God, everything. It, it never gets <laughs> old. I mean, it's just... It, it's like living on the crest of the wave, you know? <laughs> Speaking know, of yeah. seascapes, right? It, it that's it plants you there squarely every time you're in the moment, uh, and I think the reason why it is for me is it's either from life or it's from memory. In in both instances, you're placed in this sort of surreal position, but you're still in the driver's seat, you know. Mm-hmm. And so your your experiential, you know, um, motivation is to respond to what's in front of you, and there's a kind of magic to it, like um, the way you know nature organizes color. Mm-hmm. representation yeah. uh, for you or the um, the sense of effect and and what that's teaching you about almost metaphorically what your own life is about you know mm-hmm. so I and whether it's a, a piece you're working on uh, of, of a still life or or of yourself or of something else the subject is almost immaterial you know the sub the it, it's a kind of category but the narrative of your life goes on so uh, those pieces have to be deeply meaningful and never products. Um, somebody had said the phrase um, "prostituting oneself out for the market," you know, <laughs> which I'm borrowing here. You know, in other words, it, it, there are no tomato paintings, there are no throwaway paintings. It's all. I mean, how many do you have? You can only do a few, and then you're done. So make them all mean something. Mm-hmm. Well, so even, your paintings are personal to you. I mean, subject like you're painting personal tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, they, they may be the just anathema to uh, to what would sell but they may be anathema to what would sell now and they may be the antithesis of, of what should sell to to the collector 
um, if I was going to chase after what the collector would like, but that's not my job. My job is to understand myself much more deeply than anybody else understands me and to know what motivates what I'm going to do and to do it at the best, the best possible or the highest level, the most profound statement I can make, and then let the chips fall where they may. It's always seemed to me just watching you paint, and I've always admired that you uh, are not oblivious to, but you don't seem to care too much about the market itself, but you care very much about the integrity of your work, and you prioritize that over everything else. And I've always admired that about you, but it's also always, not but, and it's also always seemed to me that when you're painting, whether it's a still life, whether it's a self-portrait, you're so captivated by what the light is doing and by what the color, that it's almost, you, you could paint Tony, you could paint yourself. It's, it's that process that seems to me that like totally captivates you when you're working. Is that? It, well, the process is, is life-based mm -hmm. almost always, 99% life-based. I don't really work from photographs um, just once in a while. I think I've done it once in the last 10 years. Because um, of like a posthumous portrait commission or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Because they, uh, they were in Germany and I, they, it was a little impractical to have them come and sit. Um, <laughs> come on, you can figure it out. But it's, uh, and that's not because I, I think people that do it are a bunch of posers or something. I just think that, you know, you have to know what you know and, and uh, like I don't want anybody to judge what I'm doing, and I'm not going to judge anybody else in terms of what they're doing, but I'm going to do what I have to do. And uh, something about working from life is it's like a silent conversation. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're with that person, and they go through these iterations of emotion. You look at the little micro expressions fire away on their face and try to draw that out. And I mean, there's nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the crest of the wave. So, is it people that like most interest you? Yes. Maybe, yeah. yeah, always. Because of this kind of um, energy exchange that happens between you and another person on the, you know, in the situation uh, from life. Uh, and how you kind of, you kind of join together. I mean, uh, people are always complaining in the life room about the model moving, but it turns into a really killer thing when yeah, you're drawing part somebody. part of it. Because yeah. the fact that they're not static uh, means uh, it, it, it loses something about progress, like, you know, in Kaminati. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's also the... Um it's also the thing I've heard people talk about is the most frustrating thing about working from life is that things don't stay still, that they don't know how to interpret what's in front of them. And again, back to what you were saying on the positive part of the question I asked about the, the kids these days is getting those skills to be able to, to not be limiting, to not limit yourself. So the ability to draw could make the process a lot more enjoyable than if you didn't know how to draw. It would just be like, I can't express myself properly the way I yeah. want to. Yeah, yeah. And then what is that? What is, what is drawing aptitude? Which yeah. is another interesting thing. You know, Myron Barnstone used to talk about that. And he would have drawing one, and we would take drawing one. And then we would take it again. And then if, if you were really bold, you took it three times. And it, <laughs> what it was, in, in what was kind of amazing about it, it was a kind of interdisciplinary study uh, of visual phenomenon. And so if you learn, like going back to the stylistic thing, if you learn according to one style, then as soon as the model moves, you're kind of, 
you, you know, you're really in a bad place. Yeah, you're kind of lost because lost all of a because, sudden you're in no man's land. Yeah, you've learned, uh, and in this sort of linear thread, mm-hmm. that this is what I'm supposed to do, and I, I can't adapt. But real comprehension is is the ability to adapt and to, uh, you know, accompany. What's the right word to? To take what you're doing and think on your feet and recognize that these disciplines exist and are are profound as separate entities and the way that they um, thread together uh, has everything to do with your success or failure. Mm -hmm. I always kind of thought of it as not just a drawing, but any sort of skill that you would build upon or learn is that you, you have this kind of toolbox and it's kind of empty and you put all these different little tools in it and at any given point depending on the situation you might need this tool you haven't worked with a lot but you're familiar with it and it can get you out of a kind of a sticky situation or something like that because I know with my own paintings and I don't know if you guys feel the same way I always feel like there's like oh there's a little bit of a problem here and I have to know how to get myself out of it to be able to move forward because otherwise what it ends up feeling like for me is that I'm I'm kind of Stuck, and how yeah. do I get unstuck? Right, but if you didn't put yourself in that situation, you wouldn't be up on the wave because yeah. you wouldn't be uh, pursuing things at the peak level uh, in order to transform yourself into uh, something better than what you were before. And, all comes uh, back to waves. All comes back. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody were to ask you and say, "What is good drawing to you?" Because I always think of you, even though you know I love your paintings and everything, but I always just like I, your drawings are so strong that I'm always just like, if you're going to go study like drawing, you should like, he's somebody you should consider go, go find Dan or something like that. But what is go to Staten Island, find (laughs) Dan Thompson. And if you want to learn to draw, you're going to, you're going to find this guy and you're going to tell, is that a Brooklyn accent? I don't know what that was. was Sort of halfway between Chicago. What is, so what is good drawing to you? Wow. What a question. Um, You know, great, Great drawing is great thinking and great strategy and strategy of, of a variable sort, right? So when you put yourself in the situation where you, you have yet to think through that precise visual challenge, uh, you can think through it. I, I think it's a combination of understanding things in, in a way uh, that, that you can think in that manner, but also in the way that drawing itself is, is its own art form. It is not a subsidiary of painting. It, it never was especially now. And uh, being able to think in, in the mode of drawing, I think, is, is great drawing, too. And recognizing that um, you know, what you're operating in has its own series of threads, you know, this, these DNA strands that go back along the lines, and, and the understanding that comes with them, uh, which are born out of specific observations and uh, paradigms that go with illustration, you know, like the Riley, mm-hmm. uh, and then other things. So I, I just think you have to... You have to demand excellence of yourself, as we all do, and um, and try to learn. Learn it as best you can. It's not like taking a class and then walking away, right? You, you take the class and you think, well, now I've taken drawing one, so I know how to draw. So I guess I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it's not uh, that easy. <laughs> and I got a B-plus in it, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm a B-plus draftsman. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all you can do, like I always say, it, it, uh, some of the schools, you know, like let's say a typical MFA school, and you teach drawing one, you're teaching somebody uh, for 15 days, and, yeah. and imagine studying you put drawing it all together for 15 days. That's what it is. It's a two-week workshop, yeah. and you know, who's going to learn from that? All you can really do to, uh, you know, honor those who are in the room is 
assemble a kind of uh, series of to-be-continued things for them. You know, like if this is what structure is to me, and if you really want to learn it, you got to go in this direction yeah. for two, three years. Yeah. And this is what shape is to me, and if you really want to learn it, you got to double back and, and study it. And um, I hope that everybody who's in that room with me can recognize that, because I think that's really a big part of it. I think the idea of um, teaching people a little bit of a process, too, enables them to not be completely lost without, you know, the maestro in the room telling them mm-hmm. where they went wrong. You're going to be wrong a lot. Here's a way to just keep on doing it over and over and over. And sometimes the key words that you would give, I think, would really help people to be like, oh, let me look for this one thing. Oh, I see it again. All right, try to not do this the next time. But yeah, you're totally right. When it, The idea of when you're with people and you're teaching, it's it's such a limited time that there's a certain amount of, you got to go out on your own and really dig deep and just keep on doing it over and over and over and try to get better. As much as possible, yeah, because you're presenting this observational intellectual framework for further study. Yeah. And the... Uh, the nature of things, they're so fast moving and nobody has time for that profundity in academia. Um, it, 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 so it seems at, at the present time. But, but they have to get there if they're going to proceed. And I do see that there's a lot of talented people. That idea of that there, I think there's a natural abundance of talent out there. It's just kind of finding. Well, I think there always was. I think there always is. There's yeah. a, like... Um, you know, with Encaminati, uh, with New York Academy. I mean, there are more places that are going to actually teach you how to draw or going to teach you perspective. You're going to learn um, uh, anatomy. I think that there, there are more kind of ateliers out there or, or academies or whatever you want to call them that are actually teaching people skills that maybe when we were younger were getting neglected. And, and I feel like it's almost... Uh, Sometimes I, I still kind of revert to that, you know, thinking about that things are still like they were, you know, that I have to like fight against the modernists. And the truth is, like that that was a long time ago when we when I mean even before Water Street, that was you know in the you know when we were in high school or when you know in in college. But I think a lot of the people, the talent that you're talking about, Tony, is just people not being shamed out of learning how to draw and mm-hmm. learning the things that, that you're talking about, Dan. Like it's okay to, to pursue something without being ridiculed or feeling like you're doing it And I actually see like it at it those, the like, way. the peer shows is that um, it used to be lots of, like, collections of garbage, you know, just, I mean, really poorly made. Even, like, you look at the Damien Hirst shark, and it's so poorly done. Like, it, when you actually look at the thing... And compare it to anything that they're doing at the Museum of Natural History in New York City, it's garbage. It's not well done. It's not like I mean, you can see like the the like silicon that he used to to like caulk the glass, and and the strings are like clumsy. And it's I mean maybe that's part of it. Maybe I just don't get it. But I think now when I go to those shows, I see things you know installations that are really well built. They're skillfully done. It's not necessarily kind of the direction that I'm interested in going, but I often see, you know, things with, I don't know, with mirrors and people do kind of interesting kind of perceptual works and you, they're well done now. Mm-hmm. And I think that people have embraced this idea of, of skill in a more widespread sense. And, and, and history too. 
And, and I think both things are really key points. That's a great point, Ted. Uh, whether it's an abstract piece that is uh, well done. Uh, you can tell well done in abstraction. Yeah, you can, yeah. See, when you can see it. Yeah, when it's, when it's poorly arranged and poorly uh, you know, created and, and craftsmanship is way off. Yeah. It, it falls apart. And a craftsmanship advocacy isn't about making you know every hair follicle come through no, on, a, yeah. on a you know on a person. It's about knowing your 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 job, knowing your business, and knowing how it compares and and what's going to make it at that at that high level. Uh, the the issue of, of the history is interesting because when we were in high school and everything else, you couldn't find these paintings. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. like the Mancini painting at the Met has been in storage for, <laughs> yeah. for a long years. time. Yeah. The Reppin was out. in somebody's office, the right. Reppin painting. Yeah. Right, right. And so you had the John White Alexander paintings in, in the bathrooms at in, you know, the Museum <laughs> of American Art in D.C. And suddenly they're on full display. So it's interesting to see this very slow, gradual change that's happened where the, uh, the sort of uh, human uh, appreciation factor has, has guided the museums uh, into a different position and a different acknowledgement of, uh, of what's great uh, out there. You know, it, it's just an amazing thing going back to drawing to to talk about things like silver point. You know, it's mm. it's a twelfth century drawing technique. It's medieval drawing, and it, and there's a kind of precedent to that and a way of thinking uh, with that that is so other than graphite and and helps somebody to see uh, into an era and a realm like the uh, the Michelangelo show. There were a bunch of incredible silver points mm. in that show, oh, yeah, yeah. and everybody connected with them and. There was a sense of studying the pure line or linearism of, of silver point and how that percolates up to today and the way people are using graphite and very unusual unusual techniques. Yeah. Is that show in particular is just I, I keep going back to I mean can't go visit it anymore it's done but uh, in my mind just running through it and I, the way that he thought about drawing is so radically different than, I don't know, Ang or, or Proudhon thought about drawing or, or a lot of the 19th century uh, artists. Or even some of his peers at the time. Yeah, know? for sure. And it's, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the idea of drawing and how broad the spectrum of, you know, what good drawing is. I mean, it's, you know, anything from design and, and composition to kind of just beautiful flowing line to modeling and and you know three-dimensional kind of volumetric heft i mean there or anatomy and and structure i mean mm-hmm. it can be so many different things and and so many different things could be happening at the same time but they don't all have to be happening it's a choice it's what you decide to what captivates you or, or just draws your attention in yeah yeah for sure uh Preach on. <laughs> the, uh, Amen. Going into the, uh, the form-making exercise, too, which is what drawing is supposed to be about. Uh, the, there's something about bypassing the anatomy books and going to the cadavers and the prosections, uh, which is also... Um, have you done that? Yeah, have you, have yeah, you done that? You've yeah, done, I'm going to do that next month again uh, at the League at uh, Weill Cornell Medical Center. Uh, we're going to do some drawing from prosected cadavers and, uh, and maybe... Uh, uh, a cadaver as well, but th- there's something so profound to uh, going past that because the, the anatomy is a reference. It's a kind of um, amalgamation of somebody's idea of anatomy, and it could be this specific discipline or this framework of anatomy, and it isn't the raw material of anatomy. So when you you're in the the room, there's no wasted space in the body, and the the body is is so overwhelming to to look at. You know, you, you peel it apart. 
and um, it blows your mind to you know what you can see and how it it um, entangles itself into this network of, of of parts and you know it it, it just makes you you know imagine the the, the deep nature of drawing and uh, and what form uh, can actually motivate you to do because well, how you organize those yeah, how you like organize the, it, right. I mean those muscles could be interpreted in so many different ways and all probably fairly accurate. But I, I remember one of the things that I admired about uh, your anatomy uh, classes uh, way back at Water Street was that uh, you were very interested at the time and, uh, and talked a lot about the use of each muscle, like what muscle was activated when and, and what movements of the arm activated different muscles and then as those muscles were activated, how they filled out, like where the belly of the muscle would kind of get wider and where you'd find kind of a high point and the asymmetry of the high point on the inside and the outside. And so that you were giving people kind of a framework for how to think about how this muscle works and then how to organize your own interpretation of what the shape of that muscle is based on your understanding of what that muscle does. Yeah, it's like uh, activating the form is is a matter of activating a specific aspect of, of self-expression in your response to the model and your sense of what the model can do based upon this paradigm of what stays still, what's concrete and what's not concrete, what has to maintain, and then what has that conductivity of weight and pressure in, embedded in it. Uh, and so it's, it's just, I mean, it's almost um, unknowable, the, a, a phenomenon to, to, to tackle. But it does seem to come together in uh, in certain respects for me at least in uh, in in the two ways of of really deep anatomy that is at, at the the tissue um, the ligament tendon level mm -hmm. uh, because as we look at the skeletons and the skeletal structures that are in art schools they're just haphazardly wired together yeah and you get all the spacing with with the bones and and you just don't get a picture of what that cross section is doing and why. It's structured the way that it is. Think of like the wrist. The wrist is like it's like somebody put a firecracker in a real wrist and blew it apart <laughs> and stop motion, and that's what you get. And then on the other side, uh, the uh, you know we talk about anatomy books, and we go and we look at, at osteology, which is uh, which is really incredibly important to the bones, and yeah. then myology, the muscles. But most of us are drawing in the morphology. We're we're in the upper layers, right? The uh, surface, the, the surface, the surface layers. Stuff. So the the notion of, of how to treat that and and what what webbing, you know, and, and what kind of um, sort of tapestry uh, uh, we're dealing with is is just totally fascinating. So when you're going, sure. yeah. so when you're going to the doing um, a cadaver class, mm -hmm. um, obviously a cadaver is so much different than a living, you know, a breathing living human being. How do you translate the information there, and how it would translate to, you know, teaching from a live model? Uh, there the, two. Yeah, you know, they st I'm, I've actually never done that, so and I just feel like they're probably very, very different visually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's at the nexus of anatomy and structural drawing. I think structural drawing is the navigation tool for anatomy, and so mm -hmm. the idea of thinking about a block and uh, organizing yourself, putting yourself, uh, you know, in the forearm. By knowing uh, a rectangular like cross virtual reality, almost. yeah, it's like <laughs> if if you can't make little corollaries uh, and little form metaphors to things, you're kind of lost. Otherwise, you're just like copying and doing light and shadow shapes, and it, 
at at its no. at its most optimal point, it's not about that discipline. It's not a light and shadow discipline. It's it's a discipline about construction and really complex interdigitation of constructive forms. Mm-hmm. So. Almost like a Briton Bridgman, where he would almost. Um, overly do something to like how something would lock in yeah. he almost made it you know robotic yeah in a yeah, way to kind of get the point that, across yeah he takes the trochlea and the humerus and he exaggerates it so he he shows you just how spool like it is and how yeah. it sends oh, yeah. the you know the yeah. ulna and the radius out in a certain direction and uh, i think through exaggeration he he makes a really good point which is he drives it home yeah and yeah. you know we used to be cautioned by some at the academy don't look at bridgman in fact, there's a, there was a Will Barnett uh, story that he was coming down to study at the league in the 1930s or something, the 1920s, and somebody says, you're not going down to the Art Students League to study with that madman Bridgman, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you're not going down to the, the Art Students League to play with that madman Bridgman, are you? <laughs> and uh, it may have been the best thing he ever did, for all I know. But I, I know that, uh, that it, I think he That's opened awesome. up, he unearthed this, this kind of... Um, System, you know, what is structural drawing? You know, it's it, it's the translation moment. You know, how do you take a shoulder and understand it and teach it to somebody? Yeah. Like I was teaching in China a couple of years ago, and and um, the translator was supposed to be there for three days in a three day workshop, and he was there for three minutes, and so and nobody spoke English, and I didn't speak Mandarin, and so the, the only thing we could do was rely upon. Uh, the communicative uh, like the I- of structural drawing, the icon know? of so you're of just doing drama. diagrams of the kind of of the structure and yeah, it was like a, a mixture of hand gestures pointing to a shoulder <laughs> and yeah. then uh, creating a series of interlocking volumes that that made for something that was both identifiable but also maybe transformative in the sense that you should think about it like this, mm-hmm. you know, like the attachment point of the deltoid sits in a beautiful location and you can use that to understand, you know. The, the more complex nature of spirals as you send yourself down the form. So. I, well, I know the Art Students League had those, and are they ever going to make those, um, those hail um, videos that were really um, hard to see, really? Is there a way to get some of those? Um, Somebody's got to be on that. Somebody's got the master tapes. And- we're going to use digital technology. Te- <laughs> <laughs> because some of the, I feel like that's, coming out of that tradition, too. And there was somebody who understood it. Did Hale study with Bridgman? Uh, he did. He, yeah. he was the, the person that uh, inherited the, the mantle from Bridgman. Right. Yeah. Um, I did some research on, on the league, and not so much Hale, because Hale comes a, a little bit further uh, down the line from Bridgman. Bridgman teaches until 41 or 42. And I found, um, you know, in the early days, what, what the league did, the Board of Control would send a letter uh, to the instructor offering the instructor a class. Like, Kenyon Cox, would you like to teach in the afternoon section yeah. on this particular day? And with Bridgman, it was a letter in 1898, and it said, would you, like to take, would you like to teach this class, and would you agree not to teach at the Chase School of Art? Whoa. And he <laughs> writes back, and he says, I'll, take, you know, I'll teach the class, and I won't teach at the Chase School. So it tells you something about Chase and how powerful a figure wow. he became. Wow. You know. That's pretty cool. You know, Chase only taught... Alla prima. He only taught one shots in his class. Oh, really? So there's uh, something about um, you know where that puts you mentally when, That's you, when a hard every thing painting to teach. is a one in one out painting. And so they were asking Dickinson again about Chase and you know how would you think through your strategy, your process? And he said we didn't have time to think. It was all react, <laughs> react, react. But it uh, 
Which, but that's not how Chase paints. I mean, he, he must have, he had to have spent more than one session on his paintings. He had to have, but... Uh, but that's not the way he learned. He didn't learn like that. It's like one of those things where... When oh, let's not beat up on Chase. I love Chase, but, but the idea of, you know, one shot, or even Alaprima's, I love Alaprima painting. But if somebody can't draw and doesn't have a foundation, Alaprima painting's the worst. <laughs> and it's a really hard thing to teach if, you know, if somebody can't draw or they don't have any sense of color or any sense of, sense of form or any of these little things that we're talking about. All these things matter. So I don't, I'm that sure seems Chase like a, was teaching all of that somehow in that. I mean, he must have just felt that that was I mean, the his most paintings are, I love Chase paintings. They're amazing. I think these instructors like Chase had an extraordinarily open sense of, of what was out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of, of Hawthorne uh, teaching people to, to paint with a with a palette knife, yeah. and he knew they could study with Bridgman. Wasn't Henchy doing right. palette knife yeah. paintings too? Because I remember you knife. doing palette knife color studies, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got some pictures You're painting from, with uh, a palette knife <laughs> from Hawthorne in in the uh, in 1920, 1919. There's a, a couple of great photographs of people doing color studies in Hawthorne's class, uh, which really tells you so much because you get a sense of you know what they were using and how big the palette was, and yeah. and and the size. Uh, the scale of things and where they were working. And uh, I think, you know, Chase had this, um, you know, real uh, aptitude for showmanship. And, mm-hmm. and his, you know, he, uh, he studied, it's funny, in the early circular of the Art Students League, uh, they would have uh, the instructor and then they would have a person who they studied with in order to justify studying with them. So uh-huh. imagine you need to, justification to study with Thomas Aikens, right? <laughs> so it says, Thomas Aikens, Student of Jerome. <laughs> like, you need credentials, you man. Credentials, so, <laughs> oh, well, I so, didn't. The Aikens, but Jerome, okay, yeah, sure. So with, with Chase, it says student of Pilati, you know, Carl Pilati, the, the great Munich, you know, epic kind of Bougaro-esque painter. Yeah, I was about to painter. Say, not like the exercise guru Pilates. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But, but he did he, have a firm belly. <laughs> yes, he did. Ouch. The, the idea of the sort of, because Chase was the art star of the league, and yeah. I think his class had to be reflective of the art stardom that he enjoyed, mm-hmm. as opposed to being the art uh, kind of theorist or, um, you, know, uh, you know, that uh, Kenyon Cox was. Yeah. So, he had to sell the sizzle. What did you need to get into Chase's class? God, you must have needed like some crazy resume to go hang out with Chase. I don't think so, but there's a lot of stuff out there where um, you can read about, you know, being in Chase's class. Uh, and he'd show up in a, you know, his uh, he was resplendent in, in his, <laughs> big his fur entire, coat, yeah, everything. Big he didn't shop at Costco. <laughs> Everything's splendid. laid out. It's awesome. And uh, they said the faint smell of a cocktail on his breath. Of nice. course he was. He was a fancy man. Those were the good old days. Right? Those were the good old days. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, his paintings of Central Park, it, like the like the New York paintings he did, were all so cool. Mm. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, where can we find you? These days. In Caminati, right? In Caminati. And Studio in Caminati in Philadelphia. In Philly. Come just, down to see us and, and visit us. Um, and also at the New York Academy of Art, uh, which is in Franklin Street, uh, in Tribeca on Franklin Street. And then in, uh, in Midtown at the Art Students League. And, and you, are you historic historic Art Staten Island? Yeah. yeah, Staten Island. All right. Shaolin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, congratulations on the deanship. That sounds yeah. amazing. That's a huge honor. I mean, I think the... That's that's great, and I'm I'm really excited for you. 
Thanks, brother. Yeah, congratulations to you guys. And, and uh, this thing that you're doing is uh, pretty special. We're trying. And, it's uh, fun. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I think it's been, it's cool to see. How many years have you been doing it? Podcast? I don't know. We try not to keep track. No, because then all of a sudden we realize we need to do a lot more of them. Sorry. But we do need to do a lot more episodes. But I remember here when, when you got that position at Incominati, I was like, I yeah. I was like, not surprised that he's the perfect person to, to actually head that. I mean, there probably isn't anybody more qualified for that. Thank you exactly. for saying that. Um, I mean, I just feel extraordinarily motivated to uh, to to help and to uh, you know to to work with everybody there. That's yeah. that's pretty much it. It's an honor, and uh, it's an honor because they're they're all such amazing artists. Yeah, so yeah. I can't yeah. wait to uh, to see what the future holds with that organization. So, thank well, you. Um, I, I, thanks I mean, for joining us. Yeah, sure, yeah. Thanks for and, braving uh, uh, coming out to Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening and. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, we're gonna we'll right. keep them. We'll keep them coming, and uh, just keep listening and keep spread listening. the word yes. and tell everybody about. And thank this. you all the comments. Uh, we really appreciate them. Uh, got an email from uh, uh, the one of the emails was really moving. Uh, oh yeah, just, just just one. No, we actually get a fair amount of... <laughs> we get thousands, but I was just singling one out. Honestly, some of the the, the emails we get, and you know, we get critiquing emails with their, which are all valid and we we read them and I think they're they're good like a lot of them I'm like I get it I know what you're saying sometimes they don't realize how hard it is to do these and to find the time to get somebody that you know there's a lot of people we want to talk to we just can't get to them or their schedule doesn't mm-hmm. allow it but then we get these other ones that are, are people and you, being in New York and, and being where we are we're, we've had it kind of Good in the sense that we can go to the Met. We have this community, almost a built-in community, even though we help start, like, or you know, create a little bit of this community. But then people who uh, who re- uh, uh, email and say, like, I have none of this, and this is my lifeline to something I know I care about so much, I can't get to it. Even at times when I felt like I was wrong about something, why do I care about this? I guess I'm, there's something wrong with me. I know this sounds weird to talk about art, but like there's something wrong with me. Yet all of a sudden I hear you talk about these people, and then I research these people, and these are the people like these are the people I want to be around. So unfortunately, I'm not there, but at least I can be connected to what we almost take for granted. Yeah. So, so thank we you get so much and, for those. Uh, those are the, for those emails. Those are really important. It goes to back us. to that thing, you know, absent and body together in spirit. So no matter where you are physically, there's a there's more than a virtual community. There's a there's a kind of shared, uh, you know, intellectual framework that we we all continue and add to and uh, makes us better. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Dan, right, you're thanks. the best. Thanks, Dan yep. and Tony. All right, man. All right. It's extreme, man.